Welcome to Take a Stall. I'm Stephen Manderson, but you might know me better as Professor Green. What you might not know about me is that I've suffered with gut health issues since the day I was born, having my first operation at just six weeks old. Surgery later on in life for a hiatus hernia in 2017 left my stomach partially paralysed. The doctor's idea was to give me more surgery, but I wasn't really up for that having just gone through two weeks of complications and nearly copping it. Rabbit hole after rabbit hole and ended up in some really weird corners of the internet, I gathered a better understanding of what was going on inside, which meant I was able to improve my gut health through a combination of healthy diet, exercise, high quality supplements and becoming really boring. The last bit's a joke, sort of. Talking of high quality supplements, I founded my gut health brand, The Gulp, after realising there were millions and millions of people suffering with the same issues and worse that I was, who were looking for a simple and effective solution, which didn't yet exist, but does now. Our aim is to get people comfortable talking about their gut health, their all-round health, and to break taboos around gut issues. So I've asked some of my mates to come and take an Gulp gut health test. Yep, I've literally got my celeb pals to send me their sh send off their poo in the post so they can better understand what's going on inside themselves. We also get to pick apart their life story by way of their toilet habits and the food they've eaten throughout their life. This week on the podcast, I'm joined by the nation's PE teacher, Joe Wicks. Joe became an inspiration to the nation during the pandemic, as well as becoming a household name, helping keep us all motivated during an incredibly difficult time for all of us. Joe is so unbelievably open during this conversation, talking about his family life and his upbringing. As a teenager, I was punching walls. My brother Nicky punched a wall and broke his hand. So we literally were doing and acting out the same things we had experienced as kids. And I, and I want to stop that now with my children, you know? His relationship with food. I do have blowouts where I just go, right, I want a tub of Ben & Jerry's or I want to eat a whole bag of crisps with some, you know, cheese and nachos. Why he has an ice bath in his garden. And I think because it's so stressful on the body, if you do that, it's almost like anything else that comes through at the day, you sort of take it on the chin. You can sort of think, well, I'm all right today. And of course, we find out what's going on inside his gut. So pull up a chair. It's time to take a stool. Joe, hello, mate. What's happening? How are you? I'm good, mate. Listen, it's nice to um, finally get to speak to you. We've obviously chatted a little bit over Instagram, but um, it's an honour to be a guest on your podcast, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I mean, my baby's just entered uh, sleep regression, which was something I wasn't familiar with. We just got him into a really good sleeping pattern. Um, Karima and I are my partner. We'd started to sleep, which was amazing. That was something I'd forgotten about, to be honest. Um, but yeah, he's gone into sleep regression. But you should be you should be well versed in this, right? You have two children. Yeah, mate. I've got a little boy called Marley who's eighteen months, and a little girl called Indy who's three. So I've been through all that, mate. It's it's up and down, and it's it's a roller coaster. But that's the one thing that you're not quite prepared for. As as a person that loves sleep as well, like I need my eight hours. So when you throw a couple of babies in the mix, it definitely makes staying fit and staying active and, you know, even with the food, I think when I'm tired, everything has a massive knock-on effect. You know, I don't want to cook food. I can't bother to exercise. So I've realised in the last couple of years how important sleep is for our physical and our mental health. 100%. And the first bit you lose. So everyone, when they have babies, they're like, oh my God, I've become so much more emotional. I cry at John Lewis Christmas adverts. Um, and it's got nothing to do with actually having the baby beyond the impact it has on sleep. The first bit um, of your faculties that you lose when you stop sleeping properly is the ability to rationalize. So you go from like elated to crying at John Lewis Christmas adverts. And uh, 
I mean, there's no Christmas adverts on at the moment, but there's definitely been some teary moments for me, crying at things that I never would have previously. Yeah, I think you're, well, you're when you're when you're really emotionally well, when you're tired, I think you just your your emotions are heightened, aren't they? And everything feels a bit more stressful. That's why, you know, I say to Rosie, like, if you need to have a nap, like, go and catch a quick half an hour nap because it really can regenerate you a little bit and bring you back to um, level head. But yeah, I mean, it's hard, mate, especially when you throw two into the mix. Are you are you planning to have another one or Yaku just one? Um, I'm really, really, I'm like, I'm, I'm over the moon with one. Um, it'd be lovely to have a second. You kind of get, they change so quickly. You're like, oh my God, I understand how people get broody now. Like, it was weird for me because I, I, I knew that I always wanted children, but I kind of didn't want anything to do with anyone else's. So like my mates would try and hand me their kids and I'd be like, um, ah, I'm, I'm all right. I was quite nervous. Um, like the first nappy I changed was Slimane's, uh, my son's. Um, and like the first time you hold them, you're like, oh my God, you're such a fragile little thing. I don't, and I, I don't know about you, but like my, my childhood wasn't, I mean, I, in hindsight, it was, I was pretty bloody lucky um, with the people I had around me, my great grandmother, my grandmother, but I didn't have uh, my mum and my dad that I think 1983 and, you know, those sort of years, the picture of 2.4 children was a little bit more, I don't know, it, it, like the picture of a family was one thing, whereas I think now that's developed a little bit. Um, so it was, you know, with everything that I experienced growing up, it was quite important to me that I got everything right. But you quickly realise that you, you're learning on the fly. There is no getting everything right. Yeah, mate. I mean, and it sounds like you've really taken your experience as well as a child and growing up to become, you know, parent, it shaped the, the man you are saying the parent you become. And I'm always trying to learn, you know, I had a very chaotic upbringing as well. I had a, my dad was suffering with drug addiction. Uh, my mum had mental health issues. So it's been um, quite a chaotic childhood, but I've really used those experiences really to become a good parent. You know, I'm a good husband. I'm a good dad. I'm always learning, trying to be patient because naturally, like I was shouted at a lot as a kid. So I, in my head, I want to shout back and want to be that kind of impatient parent. But it's something that I've had to work on, you know, really have to kind of try and sort of take a breath and just have a little moment because a baby is an irrational human being they don't have a, a rational brain so it's one of those things I think as you practice little things you start to get a little bit better in each situation but you're never going to be perfect but I always think you know children forgive you like if you shout or you make a mistake kids love you they forgive you, you know I, I forgive my parents for all I went through you know I've, I'm, I'm proud of the, my childhood really. Did you so did you find when you had a, a child that you forgave your parents again? Yeah, I feel like when I became a parent, I think, well, I've actually been on quite an emotional journey in the last few months. I'm filming a documentary for BBC One um, around mental health and my family. So I didn't realise, obviously, as a kid, I just thought my mum loved cleaning because she had serious OCD. She'd scrub the house three, four times a day. My dad was obviously a drug addict, but I didn't realise they had mental health issues. So I'm, I'm, I've kind of gone back into my childhood and looked at what I went through. It's quite upsetting because I, I don't remember a lot of stuff and I tried to sort of block a lot of things out. So you know, going back to sort of seeing some experiences I went through, you know, I now understand my parents more because of that. I understand why they had certain issues, what they went through, what their childhood trauma, you know, manifested in certain things. But, you know, I, I'm one of these people that likes to think about today. I'm not really dwelling on the past. I don't try and look back with resentment and anger. I try and think, you know, I love my mum and dad today. My dad's clean. You know, my mum's doing really well. So I really focus on the relationships I have with them today as opposed to why was it so rough when I was a kid growing up? Um... But yeah, having the kids, it's put it into perspective, like what, what what's important to me, you know, what I'm, why am I working so hard? Why why, do, why am I so ambitious? Why am I constantly trying to give them a good life? And I think it's because as a kid, my life was very unsettled and it was very unstable. 
I didn't have that consistency. I always had love, like my mum and dad loved us to death, but it was our absence. He was there, he weren't there, he was in rehab, he weren't. So I'm trying to give Indy and Marley like a nice, stable life. And that's the best gift I can give them, I think. Yeah, I would agree 100%. Um, when it was weird, right, you were talking about being shouted at a lot as a kid and I was smiling and it wasn't because, you know, that's a happy thing for anyone. It was just a, a, a very, I mean, it, to me that, that, you know, that reminds me of my own childhood. There was a lot of stress in the house. You know, there were four generations in the house, a lot of fractured relationships, um, a lot of stress and also a lot of shouting. And I was a very, a very reactive human for for quite a while, which is quite difficult because you learn all of these things when you're a kid and then you get to a point where you have to start trying to unlearn things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was I was an angry teenager. When I look back, I think I was a disruptive kid, like a naughty kid and proper, like, probably ADHD a little bit. I wasn't diagnosed, but I was all over the shop. But then when I became a kid, I was a naughty kid, yeah. That's the thing, like, nah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think... Well, look, I grew up in a council estate, like, there was all nutty stuff going on, but I was a disruptive kid. I was just like... A clown, you know, I was an attention seeker. I was playing up at school because of what was going on at home. And, you know, when things would happen, like, you know, you wake up in the morning and the police are raiding your house and you have to get up and go to school and pretend nothing happened. Like, so as a kid, it's going to definitely manifest in bad behaviour. But um, it kind of, you know, it shaped me. You know, it, it really, seeing the destruction that drugs had on my dad, like it put me off it. It didn't make me want to go down that route. I really wanted to change direction. And, you know, I think... I think as ch children, we are resilient. Like, we can go through some pretty crazy stuff. But, yeah, you know, my mum and dad are so proud of me. Like, I got an MBE last year, didn't I, for the PE with Joe stuff. And my mum and dad say, I can't believe, like, you're the kid that was effing and blinding and, you know, getting detention after school and you've gone on to get an MBE. So, like, my mum and dad are super proud of me. And I, I do think that my childhood shaped me. It's given me that motivation to go on and do good things and, and be a kind person. I really care as well. I really care about young children and, and, and their mental health. And so... This, this journey that I'm on at the moment is really shifted from being around, you know, the body coach, fat loss, physical transformation to like, I really want to help people with their mental health. I want to help people feel happy. And that comes really through exercise, sleep, you know, good nutrition and obviously mindfulness as well. So I've definitely evolved, I think, as the years have gone on. All the things you've just mentioned that basically, you know, they are traditional medicine. And I think that's been lost a bit in today's society, which is kind of how I got to a gulp because... And to, and to taking a stool because it, you know, I, I went through some, I had pretty bad gut health as a kid. I had a defect in my digestive tract, um, had an operation at six weeks old and went through a lifetime of gut issues. And it was like a bit of a chicken and egg situation. I got diagnosed with IBS. It's like, is a problem physical or is it psychological? Um, I used to always have a tummy ache, but no one ever suggested that it was anxiety. You know, I never, had, so I had every test in the world, you know, I had cameras, where you don't want them um, and all the tests you can imagine and they never found anything and it was only in my 20s really I went ah maybe this is anxiety and began a journey then to start trying to unpick things um, and it, it's weird I think I'm probably like the least likely candidate to talk about gut health much in the way I was around mental health but discovering the link between gut health and mental health and exercise and moving and sleep and the impact that all of that collectively has on your not just mental health but overall well-being and I, I definitely made some bad decisions along the way and you know I, I work in probably the only industry or one of the only industries that encourages really really bad behavior yeah put a lot of partying yeah a bit too much um but it's great to hear that your experience um, I think when you have those experiences early on in childhood you go one or two ways don't you you go the same way or you try and go the opposite way 
Um, and that was going to be my question. Did your experience with your dad's addiction make you take a pretty wide berth to alcohol and drugs? Yeah, I really remember having this kind of fear that if I tried drugs or if I tried alcohol, I was going to love it because my granddad was also an alcoholic. He died quite young. And my dad's obviously got into drugs from a young age. And I thought, if I do it, I'm going to love it and I'm going to be an addict. And I had this fear and it kind of really put me off. So when my friends were like down the, down the park smoking weed, like I, it just frightened the life out of me. Like I just didn't want to be around it. Um, and yeah, I just think I was concerned that I was going to end up like my dad. And I, I saw how destructive it was. You know, he wasn't, he missed so much of my life. And that's, I feel sad for that because he could have been there for the football matches. He could have been there for the sports days and, you know, me learning to like ride a bike and things. So I think he missed out. And as a parent now, I just realised that the connection, all Indy really wants, she doesn't want a big house and a fast car. She wants, she wants my time and my attention. She wants me to put my phone down, look her in the eyes and read her a book. And so all these things I really respond to and I really connect with and I know the importance. So yeah, I think, I think my dad's mistakes really helped me, you know, helped me become a, a good guy because I, I feel like my dad, when he struggled, he would turn to drugs to help, you know, to self-medicate, to take away the pain, to just run away, have no responsibilities. But for me, like if things get tough, I want to kind of work for it. I want to be there. I want to talk to Rosie. I want to have a, have a good communication with my family so that I can be, be, a, be a, a stable figure in their life who's consistent and who's there. That's all kids need. Like you only need one parent. Like you talked about your grandma. Like she was that one rock in your life that kept, gave you love and support. And I think if you, no matter what's going on around you, if you've got that one person in your life, you can really get through a lot and you can really come out of it stronger, I think. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, 100%. Like when I look back in hindsight, that's why I say, you know, irrespective of all the, the difficulties and my dad being in and out of my life as well and having his problems and my mum being there more consistently, but not being a parent as such because my grandmother was my, my guardian. It, it, I feel incredibly lucky because love wasn't absent. That was the one thing that, that was there. And I think in the same way as yourself, it was the one thing that enabled me to to make better decisions later on and to want to be and I, and I relate to everything you've said about you know with Indy and what she wants and her needs like I understand that you know when I'm feeding my child and looking into his eyes or when I'm quelling him when he's waking up one of the many times of a night at the moment you know I understand that that connection is and it, ma it makes me quite sad as well you know because my dad missed out on all these things that I'm enjoying and uh, you know, are, are becoming the most important things and most rewarding things that have ever, ever, ever happened in my life, you know? Yeah, it's epic, man. It's epic. It's, it's like holding your, holding your child and especially when you start to see them, um, you know, grow and then go to nursery and you start to see them interact, you'll realise that they really are you. They're just a little spirit of you. They're like half you, half your partner and the love you give them, the support and the, the gentleness you share, show them and how you show them how to deal with stress and emotion. Like you're constantly role modeling. They just suck it all up. And you really, you look around, you go, that's a little version of me. Like, that is me. And so I love that. I love that we are sh shaping little humans for the future. And it's just an amazing journey. I, I know I'm going to have more kids. I've got two. I know I'm going to have a big family because I really like the idea of having like a big, you know, mini bus full of kids and a chaotic house and just like big family holidays. So I, I reckon I'm going to hit four or five. That's what me and Rosie talk four about. Or five. I reckon, yeah. yeah, at some point. Wicked. Um, all right, so let's go back to the beginning then, all this talk of childhood. So in the first three years of your... Actually, no, do you know what? Before we get to that, let's talk about the stool test. Do you know what? When you said, can you come on my podcast, take a stool, I didn't for a second connect that you were actually going to be like making me take a poo in a, in a little stool thing. So yeah. Right, I've just done the deed. Not enjoying this. A bit awkward. Um, it's the rattling, the 20-second rattle I'm not enjoying the most, but... 
It's weird, it's such an embarrassing thing to be doing, but also so important. We never really look at this, do we? So I'm all up for it. I don't know what it's gonna actually show because I have been eating pretty, pretty unhealthy the last couple of days. Um, plenty of uh, fizzy strawberries and fizzy cherries. Um, bit of chocolate. I enjoyed the weekend, guilty, sue me. But um, yeah, I don't know if it's a true reading of how I normally eat all the time, but I don't know. I love my food, don't I? So, um, yeah, I've done the test. Gonna send it off in a box. Send it to the poor post. The poor post has got to pick that up. Send it through the post box. Um, gets to, gets uh, done through a lab, I imagine, and then I'll get the results next week. So, uh, yeah, wish me luck. But it's not a pretty sight. So yeah, bit awkward. I've done it. I sent it off. It didn't arrive in time, did it? I thought it had been a, it'd been held up or something. But you finally got the stool sample, yeah? We did, yeah. I'm gonna hold off on telling you the results. Um, it's quite a different way to look at things. I think in, a, in an age where people are so concerned with aesthetics and if they were to rate anything out of 10, it would probably be someone's appearance. So yeah. to be able to look at, at, you know, a rating of someone's poo, which is actually quite indicative of their health. This is a weird conversation, I know, um, but is really indicative of overall health and something we're beginning to understand more and more. It, it's quite, a, yeah, it, it's, it's a completely different conversation, but allows you to actually still you know understand someone's life throughout the decisions of their parents and their own decisions throughout their life and the effect that that would have on their gut health um what do you reckon your score will be well i don't know how it's ranked but i know that i was that i was eating i weren't eating great that week i don't know how long it takes for like certain foods to hit your digestive system and come out but yeah i mean i go through phases i'm obviously i love my healthy food and consistently i am like 80 percent healthy but I do have blowouts where I just go, right, I want a tub of Ben and Jerry's or I want to eat a whole bag of crisps with some, you know, cheese and nachos. And I go I go, go to town. Like last night I was raiding, I was up till 2am working on my book. So I was raiding the fridge eating like Indy's birthday cake leftovers and eating like cheese on crackers and marmalade on toast and stuff. So I do love my sweet food. And I know certain foods don't react well with me. Like when I have those little binges, those little blowouts, I don't emotionally feel like upset or regret or shame, but I feel instantly bloated. I feel tired. I feel slug, sluggish the next day. I don't want to exercise. My motivation and my mood really changes. So I know the link between food and my mood. I think a lot of people don't realise that. But I don't know. I mean, I'm going to say average, probably straight down. I mean, I don't think it's going to be unhealthy, but I wouldn't say it's a super healthy like gut microbiome with all the like fermented foods and all that kombucha. I'm not right down that end. So I think I'm probably in the middle somewhere. All right. Well, I'm going to hold off right until the very end to tell you. Um, how was taking the test? Uh, and is it something that you've ever done before? Have you ever had to handle your own poo before? I've got memories of doing something like that maybe as a teenager at some point, like with this little like blue scoop and you sort of scooped a bit and you put it into a tube. But I can't think why or, or what that was what that was for. But this was obviously, I felt like, because I've been invaded so much with COVID tests up the nostrils and stuff, I thought, oh, this is just another test. So I got out of the bag, I started reading instructions and I, I think... Um, I didn't like that weird thing you had to put in the toilet to like catch the poo. So I just like put loads of tissue down instead and I just, I did the business, but it was over pretty quickly. But the, I didn't like the weird, like you had these pellets in and you had to shake it and stuff to like mush it all up. And it's a weird thing because it feels so gross. But like you said, it's such a normal thing. Like it's such a not normal, normal bodily function, but it's something that's so hidden. Because once you just flush straight down the toilet, you don't ever talk about it or think about what is really going on in your gut. But I've actually just got this really lovely book. It's called um, A Look Inside the Human Body. It's like a little flat book for kids and it's showing you how food enters the mouth, goes down the, you know, into the stomach and it adds the enzymes and it goes for the intestines. And I'm like, wow, like what an amazing system. Like it goes through all those thousands of thousands of like 
feet of intestines to, to come out as poo. But who knows? I mean, I don't know if it's... I honestly don't know if, if mine's going to be like really bad. Because that, that week I was having a right blowout. So I look forward to seeing the results, to be honest. It makes me proper happy that you talk about, you know, like having blowouts, eating bad food, that affecting, that affecting your decisions and your motivation to exercise. Because like I've definitely found myself especially recently where my sleep's been quite affected doing a lot of, you know, my, my son arrived early, so I didn't get to do the batch cooking that I had planned to do before. And I feel like I've been constantly chasing my tail and there's definitely been one too many delivery orders. I wish I weren't in a good catchment zone. I've got so many good options. Ultimately it's shit food, isn't it? And the only way to know what you're eating really is, is if you cook it yourself. Um, when you're a kid, you have three years, and you know, those three years, you're not making decisions for yourself. Um, and that's called the window of opportunity. And you're born with a completely sterile gut. And from age zero to three is when you form what is essentially will be your gut biome for the rest of your life. And you can make improvements on it, but you have to be consistent and persistent. Otherwise it will ultimately return to what it was when you were age three. So. And, and all sorts of things that affect that, whether you're born by canal birth, whether you were breastfed, um, and then the foods that you ate as a child. So do you know what, do you know how you were born? Well, that's fascinating to know that I didn't realise it was established so early on, you know, from such a young age, but it's important that we know that because, yeah, obviously the foods we eat, and I'm really trying to give Indian Mali a really wide variety of nutrients. But as a kid, you know, my mum was 17 when she had Nikki. She was 19 when she had me. You know, this is 1985 breastfeeding wasn't really promoted as much I was on formula straight away so straight on the SMA or cow and gate whatever straight on the jars or puree like you know the apple sauce like just sweet sickly sugary things because that's what we grew up and that's what it was and then it was like from that point it was like you know it was all my mum used to shop in Iceland I remember it's like two for one so it'd be like um wagon wheels um you know ice gems like sunny delight chocolate our cupboards are always full of chocolate because she didn't really know how to cook so we'd have sandwiches we'd have you know Finder's crispy pancakes and potato waffles, um, frozen chicken and mushroom pies. Like it was all really processed food. So my diet wasn't great starting out. I really went on a journey. But yeah, I kind of would have just been on the classic nineteen eighty five spoon like spoons and purees up until like probably one, one and a half. I mean, you, I mean some kids even longer. And that was really how I started off. So very high sugar, probably. You've literally just described my childhood. It was like Iceland all the time, uh, two for one, three for twos, a lot of um, a lot of beige food. I wasn't breastfed when you said SMA. Again, the reason I laughed is because one of my earliest memories is my nan going to the, she went to the GP to hand over a voucher. Yeah, the tokens, yeah, milk tokens, yeah. yeah well, so we were on benefits too, so you used to literally get vouchers for your, for your, vouchers for your SMA. And then, um, and then I think um, when obviously went up to primary school, you'd get your little coin, your tokens for your lunch, and then it was like load on the card, but... That was it from from the benefits you'd get you get your milk powder because that's how you were fed in it that's all you could get as a kid. Are there any foods that stick out as highlights in your childhood? When I said that Finder's crispy pancakes, do you remember them crispy pancakes? Yeah. Not many people remember them. They're obviously frozen in the box and you'd bung them in the fridge in the in the oven and they'd be like chicken and mushroom or like ham and bacon and they were like really sort of crispy and gross and creamy on the inside but they did taste nice. So that was a classic and with like you know we'd have like. Um, you know, like super noodles with beans on toast or something, like just the most basic food. But my mum used to say, oh, do you want to have a picnic? So we'd come home from school and it would literally be a sandwich with, you know, a bag of crisps. Um, she she loved things like chocolate Swiss rolls and jam. Remember them little jam tarts? She used to get, it was just always bright and neon 
sugary sweets and stuff. So I don't understand how I wasn't an overweight kid because I really, I really ate a terrible diet. But I think I was so active, I was always moving. I think that's probably what what kind of kept me slim and stuff. But yeah, not a great start really nutritionally. I really didn't get into food and cooking until I was at university. Like that's when I started really trying to cook and, and actually say, look, I don't want to eat ready meals and get go to the cafe every day. I want to actually make my own healthy breakfast at home and stuff. Mm-hmm. And did you notice a difference in yourself at that point? I, I actually went on a kind of massive transformation. I did like a six week, a bit like a fitness plan. It was like an online training. It was like a meal plan and it was a training program. This is years ago. And I remember like within six weeks, I got so lean because I, for, for once, I for the first time really combine the food with the exercise and so I got leaner I had more energy I was feeling just like way more alert I'd wake up feeling good and I can I can actually relate to like people not knowing that because before that I didn't know what good food was I'd be even as a personal trainer I'd be down the park 6am for the boot camp then I'd go right boot camp to the calf fire up orange lucasade can of um can of coke with my full english breakfast a twix or some snickers as i walked out like standard like calf life that was like my breakfast so i was always tired always then having another chocolate bar and another can of coke like this is as i was a personal trainer so it was only when i really went on a sort of physical transformation myself and felt the difference and felt the impact of good food that i i realized the only way i'm going to be successful in this industry is if i can encourage people and really convince them that food's the answer to your transformation food and the nutrition you put in your body, that's going to be the difference between you actually transforming and, and, and getting results and just staying the same because you haven't changed your lifestyle. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that they can just exercise uh, and some people potentially even exercise so they can have what they want. There's an idea that if I exercise, everything's all right. I can eat what I want and I'll be I'll be good as gold. But yeah, I, I, I agree. Food is the most important part of it. And I've been failing on it miserably recently, to be honest. Uh, I need to get back to practicing what I preach. I actually, um, I do have days where I just go, you know, I just don't want to exercise and I eat junk food. But I, I sometimes, let's say I go to the shop and I get like a packet of Haribo, I get a tub of Ben and Jerry's and a little popcorn. I can come home and eat all that myself. And I wake up in the night with cramps. Like it really affects, I think sugar in the dairy and the milk and like ice cream and things actually wake up in pain. So I do it, but when I do it, I'm like, this is not what I want to live. I don't want to live my life. So I really just want to get back to healthy food. So I, I always say, if you are going to have a little blowout, like, don't let a bad day of eating become a bad week of eating. Just do it. Take it on the chin. Next day, get up, do a workout, use the energy, you know, get back into healthy cooking and try not to drag it in because pe- people get sucked into that lifestyle and they go months and months. And they go, oh, you know what? I'm really out of shape now. But you can kind of, you can prevent that by just um, cooking at home, going back to basics and cooking simple stuff at home. Yeah. And I think but people, I think, find motivation the hardest thing and, and bad decisions, as you've suggested, can beget bad decisions, can't they? It's like, well, I fucked it now, so I might as well just carry on. Yeah, I'm the same. If I if I start my day like well, and I do a workout, and I train fasted, and I come down and have a good breakfast, but say I like, like don't exercise, and I I'm messing about, and then I go right, I'm have a little cake or a little chocolate. In my head, I'm like, this day this day's done. Like, just eat what you want, just keep eating as much as you can today, right off. I am like that. So even me, as someone into fitness, I still have those elements of like stress eating where I I turn to food or. I just want to overeat and I just get greedy. I am quite greedy. I love being full up, like proper full up. So I know I eat more than I should, but because I exercise so much, I think I maintain my body through the exercise really because I definitely overconsume calories most days, I think. I'm interested in the saunas and the ice baths as well because I've, I, I, before I knew about Wim Hof, I tried something called cryotherapy just because it, it looked mental and I like doing weird shit. Um, and it was the best three minutes of my life. It was difficult the first time, but I came out of it and I was like, my God, I've never felt this good in my life. And I have a sauna now as well. 
Um, and it sounds it sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like have a cold shower, it'll make you feel good. I think a lot of people are so used to their comforts. Like we work so hard to make our lives so comfortable that they almost become boring. You know, it's like, I think it's, I think it's quite good to take yourself out of your comfort zone, but the idea of a cold shower would petrify most people. Well, I recently got into it about a year ago, pretty much during lockdown. So I, I, I was, yeah, I interviewed Wim Hof and I kind of got into that, just exploring the idea of like cold showers and what it could do for me. And I, I hate being cold. Like in the winter, I normally get cold really easy. I always catch cold. I'm always feeling rough and I, I'm always shivering. I hate it because I'm, I'm quite skinny. And so the idea of having a cold shower is the most awful thing. But I built up. I started doing like, you know, 20 seconds and hot or 30 seconds. And now I do it. I've, my, my, my attitude to cold and my actual, um, my, my like um, relationship with cold, it, it doesn't, doesn't scare me anymore because I'm so used to it. So every day I always, without doubt, have a cold shower. Like normally about a minute, it's easier now in the summer, but in the winter, like it's freezing. And um, it's not a shower I wash. It's more just a wake-up shower. I, I wash in the evening, have a proper shower. But it, I feel like it really wakes you up. It makes you feel alert. You know, your skin feels good. Like it's an energizing kind of thing. And I think because it's so stressful on the body, if you do that, it's almost like anything else that comes through at the day, you sort of take it on the chin. You can sort of think, well, I'm all right today. You know, I can deal with that. I control my breath. And the ice bath was just a step up. So I thought, right, I've done the cold showers. How can I take it to the next level? So I got... Uh, an amazing like just an, an old copper bath in the garden I've got a, an ice machine that it generates about 50 kilograms of ice every 24 hours so I fill up the um, I've got an igloo like an ice box so I fill up the ice box and um, store that overnight and then the next morning the, the ice fills up so I've got two loads I've got 100 kilograms of ice I dash I dash it into the um I dash it into the to the bath with the cold water and it drops the temperature to about two or three degrees so it's, it's Baltic like super cold and I love it I get in there like you know two minutes two to five minutes on average and I step out of it my body's tingling like my energy I'm super alert like it's re- I find it really it's like meditation almost because you have to you have to focus on your breath because you're panicking so you just want to get out you're like this is cold I hate this feeling but you find a kind of calm and a little bit more like um you find a bit of a warmth almost like an internal warmth where you just control your breathing and then you push through four or five minutes jump out and I luckily I've got the sauna so I can actually get in the sauna and get super hot but you should try it, mate. You do it that way round? I do round. So I actually interviewed Wim Hof and he said, look, for your first time, don't get hot first. He says, just go in the cold. Just go in the cold and feel the cold. Like, do it properly, like primal energy and all that. But now I obviously do the cold and then I go in the sauna for, say, 10 minutes. And I do. I normally do three rounds. I do 10 minutes sauna, sort of four or five minutes in the ice. And um, it, it's, I've, I've found it so beneficial for my mental health. Not so much. I can't say I'll... Oh, my joints feel great, my muscles feel great. I'm not going to say that really, but I really feel like my mind and my mental health has been massively improved because I've had that little sanctuary to sort of walk down into my garden and it's there. Like Without that, I'm just in this house with the kids. I'm always filming, I'm always moving at 100 miles an hour. So to slow down and actually take time to breathe and focus on my um, my breath, it's, ama- it's amazing for you, man. You should, have you given it a go, the ice bath yet? Yeah, so I was petrified of them, even doing cryotherapy and cold showers, but I was quite shocked. When you get into an ice bath, as long as you're still, you almost create a warmth around you. They're quite easy to tolerate. Whereas when you're in, you know, when it's winter and you're having a cold shower, it's just hitting you from all angles, isn't it? It's just nonstop. You're having to constantly keep yourself, you know, calm in that situation. Um, I guess, I guess that the thing to highlight from both of them is, you know, you saying about having that cold shower in the morning or cold bath, it makes everything else in your day, whatever is thrown at you, more tolerable and you're more capable of coping with it. And it's because it's a, it's a healthy stress. 
in much in the same way that exercises because saunas are not relaxing really like they are a you know they work on your heat sensitive proteins so they you know they basically put you into fever which encourages your the innate part of your immune system which is really really good for you and all of this stuff like this knowledge is out there if you look for it but i don't think most people are you know i don't think widely people are aware of this and cold showers are free they're available to everyone they're not something that you have to pay for they're just something that you have to to endure yeah and i've got a little tip for you for the ice bath as well so if you haven't got access to um an ice machine get um some old tupperware boxes like you know big ones if you can fill them with cold water and freeze them overnight in the freezer so then you've got like big icebergs so you can throw them in your bath like two or three of them it will drop the temperature a little bit and give it a go i think it's it's one of those things that I used to be so anxious and so much fear about going in the ice, but now I'm doing it so much calmer because it's just a sensation. The cold is just a sensation. But what I've realized is nothing brings you back to the present moment quicker than ice cold water. Like it's like, wow, I'm here right now. I'm alive. I need to breathe. I need to stay focused. And I've got nice trees above. I just look up at the trees and I, I almost find it like a meditation because I'm so busy. I'm always moving around. I don't seem to slow down. My brain's constantly thinking. But when I'm in the ice, I can't think of anything other than just breathing so it's a kind of fast track to meditation for me as well. Are you into meditation at all? You're giving it a go? Yeah, I so I have a very similar problem to you in that my brain is just constantly going. I feel like I'm in a hamster wheel. Um, and it was weird. Parts of you know the last 18 months have sort of have, have highlighted that and made it worse because all I had to sit with was my thoughts. But then there's also been an opportunity to go, okay, well, I want to step out of the hamster wheel now and I want to slow things down um and i'm getting there I, like I'm, I'm definitely not zen level 10 but i think maybe like level three at the moment and i do do some breath work and it's amazing like you you know i saw your interview with wim hof and even just doing that thing those 30 breaths in and out and how long you can hold your breath for by the time you do it the third time even the first time you do it you know i never thought i'd be able to hold my breath for two minutes i thought i'd pass out if i did it's insane isn't it? how long did you manage to hold your breath for on after that exercise um, I think the first time I did about two minutes and 13 seconds on the third go, which, and it, it, it's crazy because you come out of it and again, it's like a reset for your body. So, you know, I've suffered with anxiety on and off my entire life, not so much in, in the latter years because I've learned to manage it through, you know, good decisions, through exercise, through sleep, through eating well. Um, but it's amazing that you can do these things that do reset your body and give you a calm that, you know, they don't take medication. And I think a lot of people in today's society, we look at, you know, we look to medicine to treat any symptoms we may have. And I think quite often the symptoms that we have, we either just accept that we have to live with like, you know, IBS and stomach issues. We, we just, you know, all too common ailment we think we have to live with, but there are ways that we can improve those things and, and cure them without going to the doctor to take a medication, which will probably then require something else to, to, you know, counteract the side effects of that medication. And I was on antibiotics on and off when I was a kid all the time because I had um, chronic tonsillitis, but we didn't know what probiotics were. My name would have probiotics. What, you know, what, what were they? There was no education. And I think education is really important, which is what's so brilliant about what you're doing for, you know, not just adults, but for children, I think, you know, and, you know, my, my son wasn't born when you were doing those ex exercise classes in the morning, but I've spoken to multiple people who could not love you more for giving their children that time in the morning, something to do, which gave them an activity, which helped, you know, when they were stuck in such a confined space, which is not, 
you know, is not really how children should live. You know, when we were kids, we were playing out, we were getting amongst the dirt, you know, knocking for each other, playing knockdown ginger, getting chased by angry adults. Um, and all of a sudden, everyone was just cooped up in their houses, weren't they? Which made things difficult for, for a lot of people. I hope you're finding the conversation about life by way of gut health as fascinating as I am. One thing that I found out during my own gut health journey is that it's not easy to navigate the world of pills, potions, and work out what's snake oil and what isn't. That's why I founded a gulp, carefully curated liquid liposomal supplements to help make good gut health easy, efficient, accessible, and convenient. All disease begins in the gut, so said Hippocrates two and a half thousand years ago, and we make him right. It makes sense then that health begins there too, in the gut. If you'd like to find out more about your gut and try the test used in today's episode yourself, head over to agulp.com and use the code TAKEASTALL to get yourself a 20% discount on the Agulp gut test and a seven pack of Agulp for gut absolutely free. Free? Are you mad? Going back to, to childhood then, like what was your relationship with food? What did mealtime look like? Did you all sit around the table? I wish it was like that, but no, I think it was much more, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was a mindful practice. It was just like throw it in the oven, come back in 20 minutes, it'll be on the table, grab it, eat it. You can eat it in your room or you can eat it together, but it, I didn't have that family connection. I, I see food now as a real opportunity to connect. Like dinner time is a family time where we can sit down. And I, even Indy now, she's little, I still say, you know, how's your day been or what are you grateful for? And she'll be like, you know, Marley's bike or, you know, going on the scooter, like little things that I think it's such a nice time to connect. And it is chaotic cooking in front of kids, but I still feel like if you can bring them in a little bit and get them involved, you know, it's a lovely time to, you know, be thoughtful and mindful of over the food we're eating. Like, where's it come from? What are we making? And I think, um, I, I, I mean, I, no matter what's going on in my life, I always stop to have dinner with the kids. I always do basically from sort of 5 p.m., 5.30 p.m., it's dinner, bath time, story time. Like, it's non-negotiable because I love it. I, I miss it so much if I don't. You know, I love reading the books to the kids. I love, you know, putting them into bed and, and giving them a cuddle and stuff. So these are the things that I didn't probably get much of as a kid. Like, my mum, I don't remember my mum and dad sitting and reading with me. I, I definitely don't remember. I remember doing my homework, but I don't remember, like, being taken to bed to read books and stuff. It was probably, like, here's a TV, watch a bit of TV or something. But, yeah, I, I do... Um, I do love being a parent, but it's it's constantly just, you know, it's challenging. It's, it's like the ultimate test of patience because you've got to be patient in the kitchen. You've got to be patient around bath time. You've got to be patient before bed, all, all while staying calm and composed. And because kids are so erratic, their emotions are up and down. It's like we have to be the wise hour in that situation. We have to be rational and demonstrate that if we get a bit flustered, we can calm things down and we can deal with it. Like So, yeah, I'm constantly sort of reverting back to the inner child, but still trying to not be a little toddler having a tantrum and like bring myself up to a level of like, you know, patience and stuff. Do you have any of these conversations? So with everything that you've learned from your childhood and now through having children, has it changed any of the conversations that you have with your parents now? Yeah, I think, I think this is, we're way more open now. Like I've just done this documentary around, around mental health and I've had to sit down and have conversations with them to understand, you know, what, 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 where did your, OCD come from what made you what were you cleaning you know what was it about and I it's, it's obviously a really emotional upsetting to sort of understand some of the things my mum went through as a young kid um I don't even need to really talk about it. you can imagine what it was it was difficult stuff that it manifested in her not drug addiction and self-medicating with heroin it was like I'm just going to clean my house four times a day to make myself feel better and, and my dad obviously was, was on the drugs and stuff but now I understand the journey they've been on the path they've been on and I really understand the importance of connection and like pulling them closer I always say 
you know, um, I heard this on a podcast. It's a lovely quote. Um, the, the antidote to addiction is connection. So when my dad's really down and starts relapsing or going back to the drugs, I always say, look, let's hang out. Come and see the kids. Let's go out on a motorbike. Let's do something together because really he wants love and connection. So I've got this wisdom now as 35-year-old, but as a teenager, I didn't have it. So my relationships have changed and improved, I think. I think my relationship now with my parents is better than ever because I understand I understand them, you know. And I think as a kid, this is the whole narrative of the documentaries that children should be... It's about communication. Don't keep things secret from your kids because they hear everything. They know what's going on. It's like open up that dialogue and communicate so that the child can understand what's going on and you can all get on better and you can all understand the mental illness that's going on in your family. That's the most important thing, I think. Yeah, openness and communication are definitely key. Is something that, like, you know, I don't really have any wants beyond my child to feel the security that I didn't you know, and to not have that anxiety and to absorb all of the chaos that was in my household, you know, when you said about, you know, you kind of look forward to four or five children and and, and having that chaotic household, it's a completely different kind of chaos, isn't it? Yeah, just more like, you know, just fun and like bedtime, like pillar fights and just like mad school trips and holidays and things. But yeah, certainly not the chaos I I was experiencing because that was things like, yeah, you know, drugs being in the house and police coming around and my dad just pissing off for months on end and not knowing that's the kind of chaos and instability that I went through. And yeah, I just can't, when I think about myself as a kid and I really put myself back there, I think I'm amazed at how how I've turned out. I'm I'm proud of myself for coming through it. And I, I couldn't imagine putting Indian Marley through that. Do you know what I mean? Because they're so, they need so much love and support. And I just, I couldn't even imagine screaming and shouting at them. Like I do obviously sometimes, you know, I lose my patience, but not like, I, I would, I would see, you know, when you live in a council flat, remember they had the really thin doors. It was like, so if someone punched through it, it'd just be like waffle. It'd be like a honeycomb. Like It's like really thin plyboard and like paper-thin cardboard doors. So there'd always be holes in the doors, and I'd be like, where's that come from? Like I didn't see it, but I would know that it was fist holes from my dad punching through the walls. And as a teenager, I was punching walls. My brother Nicky punched the wall and broke his hand. So we literally were, were doing and acting out the same things we had experienced as kids. And I, and I want to stop that now with my children, you know? Yeah. I think it's important, you know, you either continue the cycle or you break it, don't you? Um, and it takes an awful lot of self-awareness and, and energy and work on, uh, on on oneself. God, that sounds wanky. That's so true, though, isn't it? But just to break that cycle. So how, how did you manage your anger as a teenager? I think exercise. I really do. I really think exercise was my therapy. It was like my, it was my coping mechanism. And when I think back, so at school, I was... I was a naughty kid, but disruptive. You know, I had the odd detention after school and that, and I was outside the te- head teacher's office, but I wasn't a mean kid fighting and punching people. I wasn't like that aggressive, but I was definitely a clown. I just needed people to like look at me and talk to me and like give me attention because I was just so, I was so like stressed out from what was going on at home that I felt like I needed, I needed people around me basically. I always loved PE. I was always doing after school sports. I was always exercising. I was always. I joined the gym in Epsom. Like, as soon as I could get a job, I went straight and joined the gym. It was like 50 quid a month. It was like all of my wages. But I, I just loved that I had somewhere to go to like let out that tension and stress. So although I thought at the time it was because I was a skinny kid that wanted to look a bit bigger and get a bit stronger, it really was It really was all about my mental health. I was doing it for my mind. Um, so that's been in my DNA from a young age. And I think even now I still use it as a mechanism. Like If I am stressed, the quickest way for me to change my, my, my mindset do some exercise it could be a run it could be a walk it could be a hit session like as long as I do something physical I can really control and handle my emotions a lot better what was your first job my first job was at um was at JD Sport in Epsom 
I worked at behind the till and like, you know, getting the trainers out the back and all that. And then I worked in Wilkinson's in Epsom. So I was on the till at Wilkinson's in my little red jumper. Um, yeah, on the till. And I remember I just, I was a, there was a David, uh, it was a Holmes Place, sorry, Holmes Place gym in Epsom. And I remember like 50 quid a month it was. And I think I was probably earning like 80 quid a month. So I just, I don't know, I just had this urge to like just go and exercise, go and get strong, go and get fit and, and, and use your time productively. So that was a pivotal moment because if it, if it wasn't spending it on, you know, the gym, I, I would have probably just been spending it on like McDonald's or going down a park, getting some WKDs and some Smirnoff Ices and drinking. And I just remember being in the gym every day after school, like two hours without fail. No idea what I was doing. I didn't have any idea. I wasn't training with anyone else. I was just on my own. But it was like a, sanct- it was a sanctuary for me, like to, to just go there, put some stress behind me, you know, get some stress out of the body and go home and be like a bit more positive about what was going on at home. And so, yeah, for me, like I dealt with all my anger and all my emotions through physical movement and, and exercise and like physically challenging myself, I think. And expelling the energy in a positive way. Yeah, just like throwing the weights. I remember just thinking like, I always loved getting, feeling pain. Like I'd love pushing myself on a bike or a treadmill until like, I literally felt sick. Like I just didn't want to just do it casually. I would be really pushing myself. And it's because I remember thinking after I just felt great. Like I, I do feel like the harder I train, the better I feel. So I like high intensity stuff, like where it's really, I'm out of breath, you know, I'm sweating and I come away thinking like, yeah, that's a proper session. I feel good for it. So I think the dopamine and serotonin in my brain releases more when I really push myself. You know, it's mad, you know, 90% of serotonin is created in your gut. I know you. You said that. You said that on the. I think on the podcast with Stephen, I was like mind blown by that because I just didn't. I didn't realise that the the body was doing that. I thought it was all. I thought it was all in the brain. Do you know what I mean? I, that's why they say the gut is a second brain, don't they? Describe it as a second brain. That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. So you have a the longest nerve in the body um, is between the brain and the gut, and it used to be thought it was a one way street, but it's it's very much a two way conversation. And actually, eighty to ninety percent of the information goes from the gut to the brain, and it doesn't just tell the brain about the gut it, it tells it everything that's going on with the organs as well um and is nutrition something obviously with food i know you eat well um and you cook brilliantly um but i try <laughs> but no, outside of outside of outside of food is there anything you've supplemented with um i've had a little bit in the past i've had a little bit of like whey protein and stuff i use in my um protein shakes but I sometimes feel like that bloats me out as well sometimes it's the whey and the dairy I think there could be certain things that I may be intolerant to that I just kind of haven't really tested or checked but I think even when I have like a big bowl of oats or a big bowl of pasta like boom I'm bloated six packs gone I've got a right derby it's sticking right out and I'm like next morning I'm like <laughs> next morning it's flat again but yeah I do some foods don't respond well to me but no I mean I've I've, I've had a bit of a, a omega-3 fish oils in the past and um I, I used a little bit of creatine when I thought I was a bodybuilder and stuff. So I was using like whey protein and creatine, but I've never really done any kind of, you know, um, probiotics or any kind of supplements, but I have got, you've sent me some agulp. So I've got, I've got them in the kitchen. I ain't got round to it, but what's the best way of mixing it? Is it with water or milk or something? Um, you can take them straight out the sachet or I normally, cause I take, I take gut immunity and recovery actually, which was designed as it began as a, a sort of, a hangover remedy but not one that was full of caffeine and sugar and crap to just plaster over it but to replenish what we deplete but actually what it turned into is a formula that replenishes everything we deplete irrespective of the stress so whether it's a late night or a long day b vitamins which are you know the some of the most important you know they're they're required to to make our red blood cells um which essentially gives us energy you know when we're fed 
Um, so I take all three of those together and I'm, I'm someone that just likes to knock stuff back, whether it's... Uh, so they're in the so the little sachets, I thought it was a big bag. Am I not meant a big bag? Is it like a powder you mix in with something else? No, 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 no. So you've got a little sachet. So you'll have a sachet for gut, you'll have a sachet for immunity. And it's funny you say about oh, okay. omega-3s because most people don't realise in Western diets, um, so the ratio of omega-6 to 3s should be, I'm going to bore you to death with this, by the way, um, should no, I mean, I'm, I'm interested be in about this. 4 to 1, otherwise you can't handle inflammation. Um, and it contributes to, a, you know, inflammation contributes to every chronic disease that ends up, you know, with us copying it later on in life. Um, so omega- I knew you I knew you were called Professor Green, but I didn't know you were an actual professor. Like, you should, you should get a... You should get a master's, mate, in this. You know, you really know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, but it takes seven years, wouldn't it? I'd have to go and give seven years to bloody to actually get the, the real credentials. But um, it's just, you know, it's been all the rabbit holes I've been down have helped me with my own health. And it was only after I, I nearly copped it after an operation in 2017. Um, and my, my stomach was left paralyzed. So I had to find liquid nutrition. And it was a lot of, you know, trial and, and error. Um, but ultimately, I found loads of things that did work and put them all together. Um, to hopefully help people not have to go through everything that I endured. But um, it's, uh, yeah, nutrition is a, it's such a minefield because there's so much advice. And you, you'll know it yourself, you know, everyone is, you know, your credentials speak for themselves. You're someone who absolutely knows what they're doing. But a lot of people out there, you know, through social media, everyone seems to know what they're talking about now. And there's quite, you know, people are quite hardline, whereas that's not, it's never been the ethos, you know, my advice is live life normally and everything in moderation, even moderation. So, you know, do have the odd blowout, but pull yourself back and, um, yeah, try and continue making better decisions. I think there's so many, there's so many mixed messages around nutrition as well around, you know, have I got to be keto? Have I got to be doing, um, you know, the low carb or the Atkins? There's, there's so many, and then there's the paleo. There's so many different messages. It's hard to know what is healthy, what is right for my body. And I think, it's got to be done on a case by case basis because every every individual is different. Like how you respond to carbohydrates will be very different to me. So some people, I think it's just about trying different things. You know, trying different methods, different recipes, and seeing how you react. So I really just think you should eat to feel good, right? Eat to feel energized. Some people for that, for some people that's a really high fat breakfast. You know, with eggs and avocado and cheese. For other people, it's a higher carb diet. But I just think there's no one size fits all approach, is there? I think that's the most important thing with nutrition. It's really it's really so different for every individual. Yeah, completely. Um, my poison is is carbohydrates. I don't really have a sweet tooth, but salt and vinegar crisps, I can't. Salt and shakes. Ooh. I cried in primary school over a bag of salt and shake. Someone take your salt? No, nah, not at all. I bloody, I, you know, you get the little, um, you get a little blue sachet, didn't you, of salt? Yeah. But I'm shaking them and I shook them so hard that the bottom fell out and all the crisps came out and I didn't have any more money for the tuck shop. Oh no! I would have picked them up, man. Straight up. <laughs> you probably would have Can't got some. Go waste. <laughs> probably would have got some good gut bacteria. Um, yeah, no, I love that. Love salt and shake. Now, disco salt and vinegar discos are the one. Though. Do you like salt and vinegar discos? Can't find them anymore, can you? They're rare. You can still get them, but yeah, you can still find them. Yeah, let me know if you find anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reveal your gut results. So how, just explain to me what, what it, because I, I found it quite funny. You had to select like what type of stool it was, like sausage, dumplings, like hamster droplets, all these little like, images. Um, so that was quite embarrassing. But what, what's the, what is the rating and the scale? What's it going to show me? So it would tell you by way of, so um, 
there's three things, acetate, butyrate, and propionate, which are indicative of how much good gut bacteria you have. Very, very specific gut bacteria. And a high presence of those three things indicate um, very good gut health. So we look for those as opposed to looking at DNA because it's way more indicative because DNA things are only relevant via epigenetics, whether you switch things on or off via lifestyle choices. Um, you, Mr. Holsom. Oh God, no. Go on. It's bad, isn't it? Don't tell me I'm the worst ever. Uh, I mean, there's been worse. He scored an eight out of 10. Is it is ten good or is ten is, good? Ten is ten is absolute like supreme gut health like cannot get any better. Um, oh, so hey, I'm happy with that. Yeah, you bloody should be. Yeah, eight out of ten. That's good. I'm really happy with that because I thought I was. I remember just I think the day before I even joked because I recorded it on my iPhone some um, voice notes and I'd eaten a big bowl, big bag of um, fizzy fangs and I was like, oh, that's not going to go down well on the um, on the gut test because it's just pure sugar in that. But that's good, man. So. Is that about average or what, what does the average person get really? Average is, is way, way, way below that. Yeah, quite often people think, and that's the, it's weird, isn't it? With all of the, uh, you know, this whole idea behind what healthy eating is, a lot of people end up eating themselves sick without realizing, um, you know, you mentioned keto, you don't get an entirely varied diet there. So you don't feed all of the bacteria that need feeding, um, you know, so even without taking probiotics, your gut health is in incredibly good shape. So whatever you're doing, you're doing, you're doing right. And I think you give people hope, mate. I'm really happy with that. That's awesome. I mean, I've never done a test like that before. So to get eight out of 10, I'm pretty tough for that. And I, I haven't really, I don't ever think it. I just think about balance. I think about getting you know, a lot of veg in my diet. I'm, I'm probably 80% veggie when I'm at home. But when I go out, I do like a steak or a burger, you know, so I kind of have a little bit of meat. But I, I am surprised. And you're legit. You're legit. This is a proper test. Legit. And I'm eight out of 10. You're not just trying to big me up. I bloody hope it's legit. No, 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 no. I was just trying to big you up. I was like, come on, there's got to be something wrong with this geezer. He's like, you know, and unfortunately there isn't. I genuinely think people relate to you in the way that they do because you you, you engage people in a way that, that people appreciate. Would it change on a daily basis or weekly or monthly? Like when would I start to see a difference in my gut health? The more, so the healthier your gut is, the more malleable it is. So you know, if you eat something bad, it will react to it. So you may have been a 10 out of 10, you might have been a 12 out of 10. It might have been those fizzy fangs that done you. Um, but generally, um, it takes quite a while to to change an unhealthy gut. So if someone has a, a quite poor gut health score, then that's quite indicative of, of relatively poor gut health and probably hasn't been impacted by something they've eaten the night before, like a tub of Ben and Jerry's or a pack of fizzy fangs. The positive thing though is they do say that, you know, you can, obviously, you can with the right lifestyle, the right choices, you can start to improve that microbiome and start to, it isn't like permanently fixes, as you say, it can, it can change based on your exercise, your stress levels, what you're eating. So it's positive that we can make adjustments. And I think people, you know, we, we always assume and we, we think that treating ourselves is like a takeaway, fast food, deep fried foods, it's, it's processed stuff. And it, it feels like a treat, but really on a chemical level, on a biochemical level in our body, like it's just not good for us it's not a treat it's, it's making it work really hard it's alien foreign foods they're going what is this shit you're putting in my body how am i going to digest it like so i think it's important to allow yourself treats but to really think about that like every time you're about to have something say is this going to like nourish me or is it going to really like bloat me and f slow me down and make me feel sluggish and then you might start to make better food choices yeah and it's not just food you know everything impacts gut health you know sleep impacts gut health and not just because you end up making poor food decisions 
but because your body's not getting the time that it needs to to restore you know that's when your body repairs and and restores and you know everything give or take every decision that we make impacts gut health and it's like you know when you talk about treating yourself like get to the end of a hard week oh i'm gonna go out with my mates and have a big blowout and you're not really treating yourself to anything apart from additional stress are you because by the time you've recovered from that stress you're back into another week of potential stress at which the end of you end up going out and having another blowout which and when you throw alcohol into it as well like alcohol affects me so i mean i i get really bad guts the next day like it just really doesn't agree i think my body just doesn't really enjoy alcohol and doesn't do well with it but it's the combination of the food and then it's the the hangover then the food choices you make the next day like it's a real lifestyle choice and it's like you can't really have both it's like you're either going to have a healthy gut and a healthy body or you're going to be caning every weekend eating takeaways every night of the week and it's like the life is better without life is better without alcohol and with good food in your body but obviously we're still so drawn back to like socializing and partying and especially after a year in lockdown like we just want to go out and have fun but it's kind of getting that balance in i suppose yeah i mean i think if you do it once every you know every so often and you pay the price you're reminded of why you don't do it so often back to everything in moderation even moderation the odd blowout and pay the price and remind yourself of why you don't do it too often and then get back on track but mate, I think, you know, it's it's been amazing talking to you and hearing. I mean, I don't think people would watch you on television and imagine that you've had the hardships or the childhood or the trauma or, you know, starting a, a, a potentially, you know, a, a disadvantage, um, seeing where you are now and how you hold yourself and how you carry yourself and how much good you do for other people. So that's amazing well listen i've really enjoyed it man it's the same with you like you have this image of someone in the media and you think you know who someone is but like just hearing your child and what you've been through like i think podcasts are great for that because you can really get to know someone you can really see that there's more to them just a quick 30 second instagram video there's there's more depth to their character so yeah it's been a lovely conversation i've learned a lot mate you've really you've, you've given me the professor green um like proper number on the digestive system now so i can think about this when I go cook dinner later on with the kids but it's been lovely chatting man I hope um hope you've enjoyed the conversation I, I really have and thank you you've inspired me to get back on the exercise training but yeah get back to the consistency I'm about 10 kilograms heavier than I should be and it's not muscle that I've put on <laughs> well if you're ever about in this area if you're ever in sorry for the day and you want to come around and get baptized in the ice bath let me know I'll get you in there <laughs> hey I'm gonna take you up on that <laughs> this episode of take a store was brought to you by a gob that's A-G-U-U-L-P. If you're amongst the 86% of the UK population that suffers some form of tummy issue each year, fear not. Take the guesswork out of gut health. A gulp for gut contains the vitamins, minerals, nutrients and prebiotics that you need to improve your gut health. Delivered via a daily liquid shot with superior absorption. Our brand new symbiotic, a clever blend of probiotics and prebiotics, come jam-packed with over 50 billion live bacteria in handy single-serve sachets that don't require refrigeration. Our range also contains for brain, for immunity, for sleep and for recovery, which is just as good for those long days as it is for those naughty late nights. And if you'd like to find out more about your gut and try the Agulp gut test used in this episode yourself, head over to agulp.com and use the code TAKEASTHOOL, that's all caps, no spaces, TAKEASTHOOL, to get yourself a 20% discount on the Agulp gut test and a seven pack of a gulp for gut absolutely free. Find out more about a gulp by visiting agulp.com or find us on Instagram at a gulp. That's A-G-U-U-L-P.